0: Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel, and I'm joined by MN's Brent Palm, Ashley Walker, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's happening in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, it's Bullying Prevention Month. A Minnesota graduate is performing at the Orpheum Theater. Big Ten Media Days. But first, after 20 years, 48-year-old Sean Ski is charged with first-degree criminal sexual assault in a rape case that stems back to 2003. A DNA sample match from the crime was found through a sexual assault test kit. The question is, Why did it take so long for Ski to be apprehended? Eminence Ashley Walker spoke to legal expert and local defense attorney Mike Bryant about how these cases are charged and why they get missed so easily.
1: We're looking at and using this as an example of sorts, a 2003 rape case that was only just solved this Wednesday. And of course, what's really interesting about that is the timeline. I mean, 2003 is 20 years ago, and this is just now getting figured out thanks to an initiative that addresses the sexual assault test kits backlog. How do these things fall through the cracks?
2: Well, that's a big question. I mean, you know, recently we found out the BCA is over a year behind on rape kits. Um, And so, unfortunately, there's all sorts of examples of evidence falling through the cracks, not being followed up on, not being tested properly. And for all those reasons, you know, we have these circumstances where, you know, uh, people aren't brought brought to justice the way they should be.
1: And I know this comes with a pretty complicated answer, but how do we stop doing that?
2: Well, the best thing that happened was the legislature opened up the statute of limitations so that we didn't no longer had to worry about statute limitations issue for people with these types of crimes. You know, there's first degrees that we've had that they've been over to go back and charge people for for murder. Um, We've been able to do things in a couple other areas. But one of the things that legislature did was open the statute of limitations on sexual abuse cases so that they could go back and get people even many years after.
1: Could you explain the change in the limitations a little more? Like, did it give people another few years to pursue a case?
2: No, it was actually opening it up so that if a person was was, uh, was sexually abused as a minor, they could look at it as a potential claim many, many years later. Now, often, you know, with the real older cases, you have people that are no longer with us, no longer alive. You know, prosecutors have to make determinations about whether or not they have witnesses in order to support their case. But when you have a rape kit or when you have evidence that you actually find, then you've got those those links that you can make directly that uh, prosecutor can follow up on and it can bring the charges.
1: You said we're about a year behind in that backlog. How long is it going to take for us to catch up?
2: That's a big question. And, you know, there was a huge backlog during COVID. But even before then, there would be time periods where you go six, eight months before you get evidence back from the BCA. Um, And I don't know if they're getting close to getting back caught up or if they're just getting back to where they were behind, but not as far behind. Um, So that's kind of what we're going through. Um, But there seems to be a tremendous number of rape hits that have never been followed up on. And unfortunately, those people are all waiting for their day to get some kind of justice.
1: Yeah, when you hear things like that, it's almost can put you in the mindset of, if you're suffering from a crime like this, why go to the police when it's not going to get taken care of?
2: Well, you know, that is a question. And, you know, every once in a while we'll get Stories from here from people that being told that the police are so far behind because of this or that that they're not able to even follow up on leads. You know, you hope you never get to that point in society because at that point you start having people taking the law into their own hands, or yeah, people never getting justice to begin with, and you have criminals taking advantage of that. So hopefully we'll be able to find some solutions to really look at this kind of thing that makes sense.
1: Well, Mike, those are the main questions that I had for you. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on?
2: Um, you know, I think that, you know, the the other big thing the legislature did in these sexual abuse cases is when they opened up the window to allow people who had been abused to bring civil claims, and that made a big difference from 2013 to 2015, and hopefully the legis- legislature is willing to look at that again and give people a right to bring those claims that they should have been able to bring a long time ago.
1: Mike, thanks so much for your insight on the statute limitations and why crimes like these can go unsolved for years. Eminence
0: Ashley Walker and defense attorney Mike Bryant. Time for a quick break, more Minnesota Matters after this.
3: It's Thursday night and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. Oh. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in, say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings and another. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzzed driving, because buzzed driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel. October is Bullying Prevention Month. Did you know that one of every four students will be bullied this year? Chances are this is happening to someone you know and care about. Joining me today is Julie Herzog, Director of PACER's National Bullying Prevention Center.
4: Wanted to visit with you. Um, October is always a time of year that we really uh, focus on bullying prevention. And with that, we also uh, have Unity Day. Uh, When is Unity Day this year, Julie? It's next Wednesday, October 18th. All right. Yeah, so it's always the third Wednesday of, of October, correct? Yes. Yep. Third Wednesday of October. All right. right, Perfect. Well, can you tell us a little bit about this year and do we have a 2023 anti-bullying theme this year? This year, we're talking a lot more about building community. And so it's a little play on the word unity within community and you know the signature event of national Blind prevention month is is unity day and so we really started thinking about how can we how can we talk um you know how can we talk about unity in a in a way that really involves everyone and when you think about when communities come together for a common cause that's when real change can happen you know when everybody's has the same um you know everyone has the the same Uh, moving forward in the same way with thoughts about how they can help improve each other's lives in really um, meaningful ways. I also know uh, on Unity Day you're really uh, encouraging people to wear and share Orange is that fair to say absolutely so we wanted to find a way to send a very visible message Because so much about bullying goes on in places that people don't see so when you think about bullying It happens online or it happens on a on a school bus and so oftentimes it's happening where people aren't so what we wanted to do was to send a very positive um, visible tangible message by wearing the color orange just say you know we are um, standing together against bullying, and we're not only trying to prevent bullying but we're also promoting the positive attributes of being kind to each other of of being more accepting and more inclusive. I know this question is kind of silly, but is bullying i mean have we seen like a downward trend in bullying or we is it just are we still seeing you know high numbers of kids being bullied? Not a silly question at all. In fact, you know, but my answer is going to be that it's hard to quantify that. And because when when research was first started being done about bullying around, you know, probably consistently around 2010, um, it has shown that some of the bullying has decreased. But kids are still reporting it at a rate of at least one of every five kids reports being bullied. And so, you know, to me, that's a very high statistic, and I also think that it may be underreported. And part of that is just, again, with the advent of technology, there's become new ways to bully. And so, you know, it's very easy to bully somebody when you can do it without seeing them face-to-face. And so I think that also contributes to some of that number. What can families be doing or parents be doing, I guess, to you know, make their child feel comfortable of coming forward if they are being bullied? Because I know sometimes you're afraid to tell and you're embarrassed and there's kind of a stigma around bullying. Yeah, and I've been doing this work for over 20 years and there, at the at the time when I first started doing this, there very much was a stigma and there was all those statements within our society of kids will be kids, boys will be boys, words will never hurt you. Or when kids did, did come and tell, they were said, well what did you do to what did you do to, to to deserve that bullying? You know, so there was a lot of just blaming who it was happening to. So there are definitely those stigmas, but with the work that's been done over the years, um, kids are more willing to be talking to teachers, to talking to their parents. And, you know, and I think one of the first things you want to do as a parent is it's hard to hear that from your child when they say that they've been bullied. Because you know it's our job as parents to protect our kids and to look out for them. And so first thing you want to do is is listen without judgment and let them tell their story the best that they can. And then do ask some some you know questions to help to help them understand to help you understand the situation. But then I always say you know one of the questions you can follow up with your kids is. What would you like to see happen? Um, you know, now that you've told me, and I think that question is really powerful because so much about bullying is taking away somebody's power, and you know, it's not up to kids to fix the bullying situation, but you certainly want them to be involved in the solution because that not only helps them to do what we call self advocacy, which means you know, speaking up for yourself but also helps them problem-solve situations. And, you know, and lastly, just let them know that you are there for them, that you, you know, they're not alone in this, that you're going to be there to help them. Well, great. Well, those are some of the key questions I had today. Anything else you wanted to add? No, um, you know, just would love to if you put the word out there about Unity Day and just encourage people to wear and share orange and to tag uh, uh, Unity, hashtag Unity Every Day. Thanks again to my guest, Julie Herzog,
0: Director of Pacers National Bully Prevention Center. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. The Broadway musical Girl from the North Country is kicking off its nationwide tour at the Orpheum Theater, and it features 20 songs by Minnesota's Bob Dylan. Eminem's Brent Palm learns more about the production from one of the main actors, a 1982 graduate of Minnetonka High School.
4: If you're traveling to the North Country Fair, where
5: the winds hit heavy, on the All right. Well, hey, Jay Russell, you are part of the Girl from the North Country Broadway musical that we know had won some Tony Awards in New York and is now headed out on the road. And I'm guessing with Bob Dylan's connections to Minnesota, it's no coincidence that it's kicking off the national tour here.
6: I would imagine it was a smart move on their part to begin the show in Bob Dylan's home state, for sure, for sure. And and the show takes place in Minnesota, so it makes perfect sense, yeah.
5: How did you find out about it, and how did you land a role in the musical?
6: Well, um, I didn't get to see it on Broadway. It was really impacted by the pandemic, so it didn't have as long a run as it might have, and so I missed it. But a friend of mine was involved in it, and he had said that he thought that was a great part of it for me, so I reached out to my agents and they submitted me and I got an audition and then I got a call back and then I got the part. So uh, kind of, yeah, one of those things like didn't know much about it. So I wasn't really pursuing it. And then it just sort of fell on my lap. And I, I'm very grateful to my friend. I owe him an incredibly nice dinner because if not for my friend, I probably wouldn't have even have reached out to my agents about it.
5: Nice. Well, hey, let me ask you this. Are you, Were you uh, a fan of Bob Dylan and his music before this?
6: I mean, I, I don't know if it's a bad thing to say, but no, I wasn't. He wasn't part of my kind of growing up. And I think I thought of him like a lot of people did, of like this guy with a kind of deep, you know, strange voice that I had no real appreciation for his real kind of genius and artistry. And since this show came into my life, I mean, he's like number one on my Spotify because I mean, he has a, a song catalog, I think, beyond the Beatles. I mean, he has so many songs. It's insane. And he went through so many You know, gospel, country, folk, rock, pop. So many famous people have covered his stuff. I mean, he's really extraordinary. And he's still, at 80, he's going to be, when we're, next week we're in Cincinnati. And he's on tour in Cincinnati, but he's still going at it. Like, how many decades later? 60 years later.
5: Yeah, I mean, he's... He's got to be the most brilliant songwriter there ever was. And you said the Beatles. The only difference is the Beatles only had 10 years. This guy has been writing this stuff for, you know, 60-some years. It's just, uh, it's mind-blowing.
6: Also, just like the biggest heart in the world, because his lyrics are just so shattering, like, emotionally. It's just layers and layers, which is why I think... You know, not to, you know, something like Mamma Mia, where you're going to hear the songs you love in this sort of fun, silly story. I mean, ours, it's like a real piece of performance art that is just surpasses anything you've ever seen. I I just think it's, in the six weeks we've been working on it, I've just fallen madly in love with the, the characters, the music, the story, the whole conceit of it. I think, I wish we were playing here longer because there's so many Minnesota references that no one will ever get in any other town. I mean, you know, Burnsville and Pelican Rapids and, you know, all this, like, really (laughs) unique stuff that people are like, "What?" (laughs) And plus, I mean, it's my first time ever doing a real Minnesota accent in a show and it's just, I love it so much. I mean... It's so fun. And, you know, I guess Midwest people understand that, but it's so Minnesotan, you know.
5: Hey, let me ask you this, because we haven't talked much about the story. Can you tell us anything about the story without giving it all away
6: well, it takes place in 1934 in Duluth after the depression, which is where Bob Dylan was born, although the story has nothing to do with Bob Dylan. It's a boarding house in Duluth that is not doing very well because of the depression. And so it's all the various characters, the family who runs the boarding house, all of the people who stay there and then the locals from Duluth and how the, all those characters intersect. My character Mr. Perry is a Duluth native so as one of the older members of the story and as somebody who's probably never left Duluth I have one of the stronger Minnesota accents I am the cobbler the shoemender and so even though everyone is financially really struggling you know everyone needs shoes so I'm actually doing pretty good and I'm a widower and Nick who runs the boarding house convinces me that I should marry his 19 year old adopted pregnant daughter because it would help her out financially and it would be a charitable thing and I would have company. So I pursue Marianne as to, to marry her. But since I'm in my sixties and she's 19, she's less than thrilled about the idea. And, um, So that's my little journey in the show is, you know, I think he's a very uh, good hearted Christian man, but he everyone in it is flawed. Like all people are, you know, they're they're all trying to do the best they can amidst, you know, uh, challenging circumstances, which I think. You know, here we are 90 years later, I mean, after what America just went through, I mean, we're all still trying to do the best we can among adverse conditions with the pandemic, politics, etc. So I think it's a really relevant story in that, you know, even though that some dark times, they use hope and humor and, you know, love to try to do the best they can.
5: Well, hey, I appreciate your time, Jay.
0: Eminem's Brent Palm and actor Jay Russell. More Minnesota Matters after this. Last night we put on an epic light
2: show. Yeah, we did.
0: The crowd loved
3: us. We love the crowd.
2: Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah,
3: but did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours. <sighs> and we're
6: Fireflies. Yeah, we are. Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow-in-the-dark like this before, and we invented glow-in-the-dark. Yeah, we invented it. And we're going to be out here every night rocking out our light show at a forest near you. woo So come check us out. Check us out. And bring your kid all-ages show. Oh, but uh, don't bring any of those glass jars, because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah,
5: and I'm super claustrophobic.
4: Whether you're rocking their
0: world or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. Come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you. And discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later. Yeah, see you soon. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Minneapolis hosted the Big Ten Basketball Media Days earlier this week as a way to promote the fact that Target Center will be the venue for both the Big Ten men's and women's basketball tournaments in March. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm spoke with Golden Gopher men's coach Ben Johnson about that and about his team.
7: Yeah, and because of the tournaments here, I think it is a little diff- different feeling, a little di- different energy, um, but it's exciting, I think, um, to be able to to uh, host the big 10 tournament as historic as it is, um, is exciting for not only, uh, our team, our, uh, but our state, um, and, you know, our guys are really looking forward to it.
8: Yeah. And I think it's kind of cool too. I mean, you've been involved in the big East tournament. You've been involved in the Missouri Valley tournament in St. Louis. That's always a great event. Um, and, and the big 10 tournaments always been in Indianapolis or Chicago. Uh, I guess it was in New York city one year and DC one year it was a good run for the Gophers in DC that year. Um, uh, what what uh, what what do we what should we tell Minnesotans about this tournament? And what they need to do come March?
7: Oh, I think just you know come out and, and support. Um, you know, it's a unique opportunity to be literally you know five minutes from campus um, and kind of if we can create a home court advantage in a neutral site tournament right. type of type of situation. So from that standpoint, um, you know, I think they'll come here and see some high level basketball, and you'll see teams. Uh, normally, at the end of the year, you're playing your best. So they'll be seeing some, some teams that are competing for postseason play um, and competing for a championship. And so I think it's a great opportunity to come out and, and support our team and our program and uh, and also catch some really good basketball.
8: And I know you want to have a team that is in that mix of playing for postseason berths and championship level basketball. You've had a few weeks now of official practice. Obviously, several months of off season workouts. What do you see right now from your crew as you're entering year three?
7: Excitement. Um, you know, confidence. I think the returners now. There's no anxiety. They they know what what's ahead. And, and they're excited about what's ahead. They're excited to um, experience kind of a year two for the young guys. For the older guys like Dawson, you're excited to come back and compete in this league and, and for the first time be able to, to do it you know, with the same program in back to back years. For the new guys, whether you're freshman or transfer, it's the excitement of the new. You know, they've heard about the Big Ten. They've heard it from their teammates. They've heard it from me. They've watched it. They've they've dissected film in the summer and in the fall. And I think now they're really excited to to start the journey. And um, you know, being a couple weeks away with our our first scrimmage and exhibition game, um, again, I think we're just the excitement's at a high level right now.
8: You mentioned you have some guys coming back. I think back last year to the end of the year. You guys were never able to really get the full roster on the floor. I mean, it started, of course, with Parker and Isaiah, you know, second straight year. You, you never had those guys. And then uh, Jamison never got really untracked, it seemed. Uh, obviously, was was out the first handful of games. And Dawson gets hurt at Michigan. And, and then once he came back, though, the, the reason I phrase the question this way is, um, I think it was eight or nine games. Dawson was like 17-9, and nine, I think, in those games. You got the win against Nebraska uh, in Chicago in the tournament. Um, what, what do you? How do you get that Dawson all year now? Obviously, aside from health, if he stays healthy.
7: Yeah, I think he's had a phenomenal offseason. Um, you know, really did a great job on his body. I think he's feeling stronger than ever. His conditioning's at the best it's ever been. I and mean, I also think just the comfort of knowing offensive scheme, defensive scheme. Who your head coach is how he's going to be his expectations your teammates you know to be able to to have a core group of those guys back so now you have you know people that you've played with and you know their game they know your game there's nothing but confidence that comes from that and so um you know i think the key for him is is to expand his game and 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 be as consistent as possible and um i think he's going to play at a really high level uh, his practices he's brought unbelievable energy and just a maturity to how he goes about his day-to-day, and I think that's that's uh, really transferred on down to everybody else on the program.
8: Yeah, and when you think about you transfer on down from him to the next level, you've got this group of sophomores now, three of them who played a lot last year, one who redshirted. shirted um, How important is that group? I mean, that might be the key group to the whole thing of of where you end up, don't you think?
7: I think they're extremely important because – they went through it last year, right. and now you can hopefully bank on some sort of experience factor from them where they're not kind of your traditional sophomores that played a little bit here and there. I mean, they, they were thrown to the gauntlet. They and, let the
8: league in freshman minutes. So no, exactly, <laughs> and
7: and and so – now let's learn from that and let's use that and, and increase our depth, decrease our experience. And we've talked to those guys about, you know, having a mature game and a mature way about them. And, um, you know, I, I do think that you can just see their overall confidence is stronger and higher than ever because they they know what they're up against and um, and they know they can do it.
8: I know in the our first little briefing the media had with you a couple of weeks ago the very first thing you said is how nice it is and then you hit my head knock on wood <laughs> um, to have a full group as as you're now you know let's knock on wood hope that that stays the same you um, in the la- last your first two years you basically were playing seven guys out of necessity how do you if you had ideal like magic wand how how would your rotation go would you like to play nine ten eight seven how do you think you'd like to see it, and maybe specific to this group, if they all stay healthy?
7: I just love having that discussion. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, in the past you you you're worried about um, how you're going to save guys, and now you're trying to figure out how you're going to find minutes for guys, and yeah. you hope that the competition and practice creates that tough decision. And I think one thing that, that has been shown um, is that iron sharpens iron. And, again, we haven't been able to have that um, competitive practices – you know, good versus good for lengths of time, and and now we do, and I think that's made each of our guys better. It's going to make our team better. Um, our depth is going to be something like we've never had, and now you hope that. You know those practices elevated so that guys you bring in that may not be starters that come off the bench, there's not a drop off, and and that can be a strength, and that there's strength in numbers. We've talked about that a lot, and so um, I'm very comfortable right now um, with where we're at as far as depth goes. Um, You know we have 12 guys that are fighting hard for minutes, and um, I think that's a really good thing.
0: That's Go for Coach Ben Johnson with Eminence Sports Director Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Minnesota Matters. Be sure to join us again next week on this MNN M&M affiliate station. Same time, same place. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Tasha Radel.